0: Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds, a podcast about food and relationships. Today's guest is Giovanni De Palma. Hi, Gio. Thanks for being here.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Could you please introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are?
1: Gio De Palma. I'm. Maestro Pizza, they say Maestro, Um, founder of Antico Pizza, and now Paula Bakery, my son. And uh, I created a little neighborhood called Little Italian Atlanta.
0: If you were going to rewind, let's go old school and rewind on the VHS, back to your childhood, was there a moment that you knew that food was going to be a thing for you?
1: Yeah, I mean... When I was a kid, um, you know, in a big family, we couldn't wait to work. So, the first place you go is to restaurants. So, when we were kids, we used to clean restaurants, me and my little brother. And, um, and you know, they would give us much more responsibility than we should have had at that age. <laughs> All the chefs were still hungover sleeping. And they're like, don't worry, just turn the oven on. It's going to be fine. And we'll do this. And we're like, we don't know what we're doing. So, but... Growing up in a big Italian family, I mean, everything is about food and cooking, everything, your whole life. And, you know, some of us just said, you know, my grandfather, in Naples, we just said, we're going to get into this business. But really, when you're really young, you know, that's how you got through high school. That's how you got through school. You worked in restaurants. right? Where did so, you grow up? I grew up a little in Jersey and a little in western New York. So my half of my family's in Western New York, and then we also have family in Chicago. And I learned how to cook in Jersey, New York, and Naples, Italy. So, um, but my first job, answer your first my first job when I was sixteen, I was um, I was a grill cook at Ponderosa Steakhouse. So, and every time I say that, I smile because it was like the most fun of my life. It was the most. Fun I ever had. I started smashing potatoes and I had to cook the potatoes. Then I became a grill cook, then a cook. And like back then, every guy that worked there, their girlfriend was a cashier. So we're all dating, you know, like in high school. Yeah, my girlfriend was a cashier and I was a grill cook. And every other guy there was dating another girl. And it was the most fun we ever had in our life. And to this day, I always say, like, what I learned there about cooking steak is never left. Me. And they've always said, like, why don't you open a steakhouse? I'm like, I'm a baker, but I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have a
0: you do have a steak at, at Gio's the pizziola or whatever now. Yeah,
1: it's no. pizza. Yeah, it's yeah. pizza That's like how poor people make a steak taste good, right? So and, you know, but deep down about, but in Atlanta, I've always said, I'll never get in the state because you have Kevin Rathbun and Hell and Pano, and I'm not getting in the state. I mean, just, <laughs> I'm not doing it. That's their thing. I'm, I'm baking stuff. I'm baking So growing up, was
0: there someone that stoked that curiosity and food for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we had... So I'm one of 11 kids. We had, a so every night is dinner for 13. So every night is dinner for 13, every night. So, you know, you had to like, if you played sports, you had to learn how to do something with the leftovers. And, you know, my mother made everything from scratch and all my aunts did. So, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of like learn how to fend for yourself in a big family because you, if you missed dinner because you played sports, you had to figure it out. And then um, one night I went out to a nightclub and I came home and I wanted to eat some provolone. Like, and, and I wanted to eat the provolone, like freshly sliced arithio, except for it was monogothi shells, raw. And I ate them. <laughs> and I, my mother woke up and said, who ate the monogoti What the heck? And I was, you know, but it was like, but our, my mother used to say like, our house isn't a restaurant. But the minute you walked in the door, she said, Are you hungry? And so it was constant cooking. Constant. We we were too big of a family. Nobody would invite us over. Couldn't afford it. Nobody could afford to have us for dinner. So we so we were just constantly cooking and, you know, and then the old school Italian, you had the nice kitchen and then the basement kitchen. And the basement kitchen is where you really cook the sauce, the meatball, that's where all everything old school went down so you know just being around it your whole life a lot of the dishes I make I, I saw as a kid I mean pizza baking I learned in Italy but a lot of the dishes at Gio's I mean the Geo salad I had every day of my life
0: yeah that's your mom's dressing right
1: yeah yeah that's the, that's the dinner dressing we had every day and we I still can't understand why people are so freaked out about that salad but Maybe I add a little better greens because we couldn't afford like arugula, but in the little grana padano. But the dressing is uh, pretty much close to what I had every day in my life. Yeah.
0: And is and is so, most of your food the food that you grew up eating?
1: Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say most all those dishes. There's a few dishes that were like. Really poor man's food, cochina and like liver and onions, you know, like we had that growing up with pork and vinegar and peppers. I don't serve, like, all of it, or pasta bizzool. Sometimes we had pasta bizzool for dinner. It's just pasta and beans. Mm-hmm. You know, that was it. Um, that's real poor Italian poor, but, but delicious nevertheless. Minestrone and all that, but um, yeah, most of the food that I served, I had grown up. Um, but um, some from Italy, you know, some things I learned in Italy. So better ingredients, I'm using better ingredients because I can get it, you know, like I can get it. So when I first came to Atlanta, that was, I got a warehouse what immediately because I said, there's no ingredients here. What am I going to do? The, I, I, a guy, I ordered calabrian and chili peppers. And the guy sent me, Fifteen cases. <laughs> of, so, so think about each bucket is like three kilo, and a, a case has two. He sent me thirty buckets of Calabrian chilies, and I'm like, I got to make a pizza out of this, and that's how the Diavola became the Diablo. and now the Calabrian chilies everywhere in my. I mean, yeah, I there.
0: They were, I had never. I don't think I had ever eaten them outside of Italy and New York until you yeah. brought them here. But I mean, let's talk about you bringing Antico here to Atlanta, um, because I mean, it is really, I feel like just from observation where you solidified yourself as a restaurateur, um, but then you also became quite the institution. Um, How, like, where where were you before Atlanta? (laughs) Because I mean, I know, you know, like you were in New York and you were doing restaurants
1: Yeah, I was living in Jersey and um, Cliffside Park had a great view of Manhattan with like didn't have money. And I was working at a couple dive places in Jersey trying to launch Antico. So when I got back from Naples, I designed the Antico logo on a word, a word document because I couldn't pay an artist in the word like Antico is commonly used in Italy. So I designed the logo myself on a Word file, which is still our logo today. And I was walking around Hoboken, and there was a bakery for, a bakery called Antique Bakery. So you got to check it out on their Instagram now. But I went in there, and I said, this is like a sign from God. Like I'm doing Antico Pizza, and this place is called Antique. And you went in the back. It was an old bakery, and in the back had one of the oldest working ovens in the New York area. So I hounded this guy. I said, this is my destiny. I'm gonna open this in Frank Sinatra's hometown, in Hoboken." And the guy refused to sell it, refused to sell it, refused to sell it. And I, 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 I said, one day I'm gonna break him down, and, and he wouldn't. And, and then we started searching around the country because my plan was I wanted an old bakery. I was crystal clear that I wanted to take pizza back to be in a bakery that's crystal clear on what my plan was i wanted people to see making dough crushing tomatoes the whole process which you don't see in pizza anymore nobody sees what goes on all, all that process so and i wanted an open kitchen with wood-fired ovens so i started looking for an old bakery and Jacbo bakery on hemp hill in ethel street was there for 20 years. People don't know that. Jocko Bakery was there for 20 years, and it was for sale online. Um, and so, Atlanta just seemed like a really big city with challenging, you know, pizza offerings for the size of the city. Like when you come from New York, you think, "Wow, this is a really big city." Probably not, but still kind of like a country town in some ways. But you think this is a really big city, there must be great pizza everywhere, and I, I just didn't see. I saw that as an opportunity, and I it was near Georgia Tech, and I said, Georgia Tech is a booming college. I mean, if all goes bad and nobody wants Naples pizza, I'm going to make college pizza and sell beer. Right. And that, that was plan B. Like, my plan B was, what if nobody buys this pizza and thinks I'm crazy? I was going to make an American version of pizza and sell beer, serve Georgia Tech. But that bakery, we bought, um, I met them and there was an old wooden table in the kitchen and I said, I want the table, I want the guy who's on the table, his name's Carlo. Carlo's been with me for 14 years. Me and Carlo painted the building. We painted the building together. Carlo, I put his kids through school. So I said, I want... The table, the guy, Carlo, and I want the phone, the phone bill, the phone number, because I thought they were going out of business. So the phone number I bought from them is still the Antico phone number. And it was just fate. It was just a bakery in a neighborhood in a big city. And I said, well, take a chance on Atlanta. You know, that was it. And
0: um, were you looking to move? Why Atlanta? I mean, that's like a big jump.
1: it, it, It could have been anywhere. It could have been Miami, it could have been Dallas, it could have been... I wanted an old-school bakery in a neighborhood, and that was perfect. And now, mind you, when I arrived, it wasn't a real safe place. <laughs> I mean, it was a little shaky. I used to have my son in the car and said, I got people at the door trying to get in. Closed Tuesday, sorry. So, so yeah, they're get on the door. So, I was, I was a little scared in that neighborhood when I got there because it was a little dicey and... and um, tough people around, a lot of graffiti, broken glass. So I was a little nervous even with my son. And I just told him, I, when we left, I made him sit right by the door. I locked the door, jumped in the car, and we left. It was just him and all. So, But the wooden table I bought became, I think, the most popular communal table in Atlanta ever that was the communal table. So we had nowhere to sit. And I said, push, bust the wall out and push the table in the front of the store. And I put somewhere a text that we have communal seating at five o'clock and it was full for six years, seven years <laughs> from that minute on, it was never not a, that big wooden table in the front, the baker's table. So I just said, let's push it in the store and let people sit here because this is getting crazy. And So that table, Carlos, and the phone number have been with me for, that table's now in the dough room, but been with me for 13 years. So.
0: But I mean, like Antico wasn't like anything that had opened in Atlanta. There were no, to my knowledge at that point, Acunto ovens, which are the wood fire ovens that you imported from Italy. If you were to compare your version to that in Italy, like even the way that it was served in that communal setting that you're talking yep. about was unique on, on the, the cookie sheet, you know, cut at the table yep. by, yep. by whoever ran the food to your table. Why did you decide to do that? That way. Well, the,
1: the cookie sheet um, was because I inherited 500 cookie sheets. <laughs> when I got the <laughs> like, no creative hey. reason, just being like, thrifty. We're gonna be dishes. We don't have anything. I don't, I don't have any silverware. I mean, just throw it on the sheet pan. Right. I actually yeah. inherited so many sheet pans. I sold two hundred of them, and I still had four hundred. And I'm like, hey, throw a piece of parchment. That that's the dish. We don't have any. We don't have a dishwasher, and it just caught on. And now I laugh because you can hundreds of pizzerias do that.
0: And I mean, I if you now, if I got, if I got it any different way at your restaurant, no, it would feel weird. Like if weird, I got it weird. on the stand on a round sheet, it would feel not Antico. No, I can't do that. I
1: can't do it. And so, but the, all the people that have like wanted to sort of create something like, I laugh when I, on the internet, when I see all these pizzerias all over the country mm-hmm. and they have a sheet pan with paper mm-hmm. and the pizza mm-hmm. and I'm like. I did that by accident because I just inherited the baking sheets, you know. Um, But um, what was the second thing you were saying? Um, Well, it's just about the
0: community. I mean, but that also led to the community that you're creating now.
1: So so in Naples, in New York, you know, you don't have a lot of square footage. And so um, my idea, so Antico was the first pizza place in the planet Earth to have three ovens in the building. That doesn't exist anymore. Who would have three burn, wood-burning ovens in a building? In Naples, you have one. New York, you have one. You ever seen two ovens in New York in a building? They
0: can't. I can't. I, I, can't. I can't. don't know. Yeah. They can't.
1: We had three. Right. three. Right. So we had three. So I was like, oh, we're going to prepare for big volume because we have the space, and we could pump out a lot more pizza, and, you know, and if – where if I start wholesaling pizza, I have three ovens. You need firepower, right? You need firepower to make food. So, so when I put the three ovens in the building, it had never been done before. And now you see like two ovens in a building quite often now that are not tiled. That's people that kind of saw Antico and said, I want to do that. And I, I did it because I had the space and I wanted it to be I wanted you to walk in the kitchen and feel like, wow, this is so, like, raw. This is just so organic. But with the then, music
0: know, swelling throughout the music and the crowd. And, yeah, yeah.
1: And then, remember in the beginning, there was people with Brunello and fur coats standing there. I'm like, what is going on? This is crazy. That
0: yeah, was total
1: theater of the it living. Was it was nuts. It was mm-hmm. nuts. But the lines down the block, they're scalping pizzas. But really, you know, the moment... For me, in pizza, when I decided what Antica was going to be, is when I was in Naples, and, and I was eating at famous pizzerias, and, you know, you say to yourself, it's so good. Why isn't this on every street corner in America? And then you sort of you sort of start to think, well, the skill, the products, all these things, but then also... Also, Americans don't love pizza as the way it's made in Naples. They don't love it just like that. Mm -mm. That was my conclusion. Mm -mm. It's a little too soft, a little too wet. And
0: you eat it with a fork and a knife a lot in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a personal thing, you know, you like sit. Yeah,
1: Yeah, they fold it and hand it to you and you walk down the street. So culturally in Naples, that works, but in America, that doesn't work. So so when I got back to America, I said, I have to make like a hybrid that is New York, sticking to the Naples tradition, but it has to be in a way where Americans say, that's pizza, it's just a little better. <laughs> but it's got to look like a pizza, right? So, <laughs> so that was my goal to say stay true to Naples tradition, but make a pizza that Americans understand. And, and the delicate balance of, you know, the takeout and delivery. I never delivered pizza until the pandemic, but I didn't even want takeout. I didn't want it because Naples pizza, every time people left with it, I was like, I don't know if that's going to be as good when you get home. I didn't feel good about it, but but I made something a little bit more formidable than a Neapolitan pizza, as you would eat in Naples. So it would travel, and I said, well, I guess our pizza cold is better than the alternative. So let them take it to go. And so that's what happened. And our takeout business is robust, but it was all about trying to make a Neapolitan hybrid that Americans would appreciate. That's, that was my goal.
0: I mean, and it was met with great acclaim in Atlanta and beyond. I mean, like, you know, I remember you telling me like, you know, Tom Brady, you know, loves my pizza and Justin Bieber and everyone, all these celebrities really love you. And you would send them pizzas. I mean, you became like, I mean, the pizza place for a long time. Um, What what was that like to go from, as you're saying, you were like broke, you know, and then you're in Atlanta and you like hit it you know you you your bet pays off what was that like it was it
1: was it was a surreal thing it was just like every day and every week folded into the next and you know you woke up three years later and go holy shit have we been at this three years people tell me now it's been open when I tell people now it's been open over 12 years they're in shock it seems like yesterday we were all you were there in your pajamas having a San Gennaro does that (laughs) seem like 12 does that seem like 12 no no no. it doesn't so like but you know to me it was like winning the lottery every day it was unbelievable it was a feeling it's like i wish everybody in this industry could feel what i felt when i went to work because i was never tired it was pure adrenaline it's pure adrenaline everybody the scene in the kitchen the line down the block It was just, it's just so exciting that, you know, you created something that people, they don't like, they love. It was, uh, it's just such a rewarding thing. I wish every chef and restaurant tour could feel that one huge home run in their life. You know, it's an an exceptional, but the celebrities coming was just, it's kind of became so, for me, like another day at work. But when I reflect on it, it's pretty bizarre. (laughs) How many many people like, I remember I was at like um, Pano Jr.'s book launch in Kima and I got a text and it's Bradley Cooper and he's like, Gio, I just landed. I need pizza. I'm like, dude, I'm at the chef's like, how bad? He goes, we're already outside. (laughs) I'm like, like, son of a bitch. Like, all right, give me 30 minutes go open the back door. And I had a guy open the back door. I walk in and me, Bradley Cooper, all his friends were there. they like two in the morning and I'm making pizza for them. And people are like, I'll be right back. And that became like, and then when he did his press release, junket for *Stars Born, if you Google on AJC, all he talked about was me. He's like, they got to make a movie. I was all night with Gio, having pizza and all our friends. And he talked about me. I'm like, so it's uh, it's surreal. It's surreal, but it's been so much fun. Like it's just I mean, it's like way thousand percent more than I ever expected it would be. It's just, and I'm so happy for. It. I did it in Atlanta because Atlanta is a wonderful town to me, and um, people have been so embracing to me and my son, and you know, just I picked the right place. Let's just put it that way. It's been great,
0: and I mean, like, what is. I mean, Atlanta has been great to you. Um, you yeah. know, you're right there next to, you know, where the Braves, that, you know, call home um, with yeah. your concepts, which do really well there um, to be able to get antique. I mean, like you've become very synonymous with Atlanta in a way, just like I told the Fox Brothers, like they feel like, you know, very Atlanta to me. Um, why, why do you think that Atlanta has embraced you so much?
1: You know, I, I, I think Atlanta, honestly, like I talk to a lot of chefs and restaurateurs and whenever they call me, I try to like, let me share whatever I could do to help. And I think Atlanta, I think Atlanta loves originality. I really do. <clears throat> There's a lot of concepts that come here that are either corporate or a hybrid of another concept. When something original happens in Atlanta, It's They get to call it theirs. You know, it's like bragging rights. Like when I was winning some national accolades, like like they were like pumping their chest saying we're beating New York in pizza. Atlanta, we're beating New York in pizza of all things. We're not known for pizza. Steve Coonan's wife's trying to pull on the door. (laughs) What should I do? I'm like, we got nothing. We got nothing so funny. No, so I think, I think, if you think about the original things, and and I think also to Atlantans, they felt a little complimented that I would move here from New York and not just move here to make a quick buck. I moved here, moved here. I live here. I I have an apron on every day. My son goes to school here. Like, I think Atlantans love that. Like, the celebrity chefs that have come here and left, how did they do it? Not good, mm-hmm. right? You want to like, you know, like, so Atlanta, I think, loves originality. And I, they've embraced me. And also, we have some bragging rights about pizza on a national level now. And in and, 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 and Antico, we've, we've also, you know, spurred, look at all the other great pizza that's come after Antico. Mm-hmm. You know, that's wonderful, right? I mean, there's so much. I mean, there's a lot of great pizza in Atlanta now. And I hope I had something to do with it. You know, like, in, in, in case in point, some pretty famous guys from New York came to Atlanta and failed in pizza. There's a list, I could tell you, and they're really like good. Oh, my God, there's a the big list. Like, well, you got, Rivalta was on Midtown. Right. They're top, they're great in New York, they're gone. Cafe of the Village, they're gone. Don Antonio is that one of my most respected dear friends of Naples, Don Antonio Sarita? he's like an icon in Naples. He failed and he left. But there, there's like more, like locali Pizza, that guy Adriano, he's the top pizzaiolo. He failed. So because they left, you know, they left. They, if they would have stayed, I think they would have been really something. Mm-hmm. But they leave. And when you leave, Atlantans are like, I don't know. I I don't know. I think Wasn't there like
0: Mezzaluna here before from Milan or something? I feel like there was even one from Italy. I'm I'm trying to remember VIPs when I was younger. Um, I mean, there's a list
1: of places that like the guys were really famous, really good maestros, and they just, I think when they left, it sort of changed things, but I don't know. I could be wrong, but I think Antico was born in Atlanta, so they, it's, despite I'm um, from Northeast and, and then, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a product from Italy, but I think Atlanta just calls Antico. It's, it's Atlanta. It's born in Atlanta. You know, it's just, there's pride there. So, you know, in the sports teams and Delta airlines and they consider it like a part of Atlanta.
0: So like, as you mentioned you know, you didn't just build like a, a simple bakery. You really attempted to build a little Italia. I mean, you were being successful with Antica. You could have stopped there. Why was it important for you to build the suite of concepts that you have today? You have chicken, you have Roman pizza, you have Sicilian pizza, you have gelateria. Um, you know, you could have, you could have just stopped at one type of pizza, but you have three. Why?
1: Well, I mean, I always say, you know, it says it up here. So, so little for an I'm just a baker and I love being a baker. So I know how to do like, I want to make a YouTube three minute video once where I make six different types of pizza in three minutes with the same dough. And I want to do that once because I know how to make all those pizzas. So it's what my craft is, and everything I've done after Antico was, was consumer-driven. It was the requests of the patrons. So the more the patrons asked of me, the more I did. I mean, it was that, that simple. People were like, why don't you do this? And, and we get a lot of requests, but it was all about the patrons wanted and craved more culture. And so when they, when they kept saying that, I said, well, you know, I have a parking lot next door in a building. Okay. I'll do a gelato bar. The gelato bar became a huge hit. Oh, okay. Then I have, I bought this other building for parking. It was all for parking. And I'm like, well, let me put a little pasta and lemon chicken in here. And it's so I just kept going because the demand, it was what the Atlantans were asking for. And to this day, they're still asking for a lot of stuff, but Having that neighborhood was just—it was just one of those things where, like, Antico's here, and all these people are driving here and coming from the airport. i, I might as well offer them something more than a pizza. Okay. So, it, and it just started organically growing, and I'm—I don't regret doing it. It's—it's it's hard to run a neighborhood, but I don't regret doing it.
0: You're listening to the Food That Binds with Jennifer Zeman. But I mean, like, a lot of people try to have sophomore concepts and don't succeed Uh, uh why do you think that you continue to succeed i mean i've always one of the things i always say about you is that you have this uncanny ability to create like these concepts that become so integral in the lives of patrons in atlanta i mean like like I I also also think it's interesting that like I don't even eat antico pizza anymore, as I tell you. I end up always ordering your Geo Sicilia and are now eating the palas, you know, at Pala. Um it's just it's just interesting to me like how many iconic dishes you are able to create that also land very well.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's, again, my unique hybrid mentality of, like, I'm going to get New York food. I think Mario Carbone is doing this really well. He's getting Italian-American food and just making it better, right? It's the same old tired dishes, and he's using better ingredients in artisan chef, you know, skills and techniques. And so for me, it's like it's a hybrid of what I've learned in the Northeast and Italy And I'm getting simple dishes like lemon chicken and making it so much better. But yet, in the end of the day, everybody eats lemon chicken. I mean, I used to go visit my mom in the West Palm Beach of the senior home. And they had to get to Publix at 430 to get the lemon pepper chicken. And there are all these old, old ladies, Italian and Jewish, standing in line. And I go, what are you in line for? She's like lemon pepper chicken. You got to get it from Publix. You don't get here, and I'm like, son of a, I'm going to build a restaurant around lemon chicken. <laughs> who doesn't love lemon chicken? So it's really, I keep it really simple. Um, but I also um, like who doesn't like chicken parm? I mean, come on, we sell tons of chicken parm. So I do keep it pretty simple. But I think that it's, um, you know. Um, Somebody said to me, walked up to me and said, Gio, this is a great concept. And I said, you know why it's great? And he said, why? I said, because it's not a concept. It's a reflection of my life. Mm-hmm. So every menu is basically part of my childhood, my life, my travels. And I just try to create it in a way where, to me, I love going in a dumping restaurant and getting incredible food. I don't know about you, but... I, this is dressed up for me. I don't want to go get dressed up and put up.
0: No. I don't want to have yeah. to do
1: that to eat great food. I just want to, I love going into a diet in Italy or New York and you leave there going, wow. This. So, for Atlanta, I think that works well. It's, people like to be casual and they don't want things they don't understand. It's like, I know what lemon chicken is and it's just, so that's been my philosophy and I like to serve food fast. I like to serve food that's affordable to the masses. I mean, you know, I think the masses can afford my food. But sometimes your
0: pizzas can be expensive. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, they can be pricey. I mean, if we're being realistic about the masses, a lot, you know, I mean, some of the Sicilian pies, if we get two for a family, it's a splurge for the night, but it's worth it because like you said, I mean, for us, because for me, food is a big priority as you know, but I mean, it, the, the ingredients I believe are what continue to set apart. Like I, there's lots of other pizzas that I like yeah. in Atlanta, yeah. but it's so hard to not note the contrast between someone else's cheese and your cheese, because, you know, even the salinity of the cheese or the elasticity yeah. of the cheese is so different. And I do yeah. believe that is probably, aside from just your creativity, one of your strongest attributes. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, and I've never changed or wavered and I, and I, have Through all the influx of the the euro, the euro going up, shipping going up, Italy going up, I've always tried to keep those prices. I don't think I had a price increase in Antico for nine years, Um, and everything's going up. Labor, and I'm I try to, but in the end, for somebody who's lower income, I want it to be a treat. Like okay, let's go ten bucks each, twelve bucks each. We're going to treat ourselves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tonight and split an Antico. Mm -hmm. it should be a treat it's a it's a it's it's a a special artisan product for somebody wealthy it doesn't matter middle income people will eat it all the time so for somebody who's like you know two kids working at verizon they say hey you know i'd rather splurge and go to antico and have the best Mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised i'm surprised that and i'm happy people think that way.
0: i mean and probably
1: more approachable
0: than going and having tweezer food
1: correct correct and also also correct and also like what i love is when a grandmother and a child equally love your place you've got a generational business Mm. and i get pleasure out of both of them and some of the parents they're like geez we we love you and we hate you why because our eight-year-old kid won't eat anything but antico and i'm like yeah and i'm like but our kids growing up healthy fresh cheese digestible flour Hand crushed tomato, olive oil. Tell me when I say something bad. None of it is. So, you know, their kid is eating better eating that than commercial processed pizza. So I think so.
0: I mean, you know, my kid is a big fan of everything you do. Oh, my God. Um, But but, you know, like, I mean, we've discussed this in the past and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. But, you know, like, you know, some years back in, in 2015, there was a labor dispute. Yeah. Um, You know, I always tell you that I have certain friends that I'm like, oh, you got to go try, you know, his new Roman sandwich. It's unreal. You know, sure. they're like, oh, I don't know. I read that thing in the past and stuff like this. I mean, like to those people, like, what would you say?
1: Well, I'm actually I'm glad you asked that because people in my industry, which is a little bit comical about that issue, is people in my industry that try to hire my employees. They never could. Cause I, I, I pay more than anybody in the whole industry. So, and we ran the business like a family business. So like, it just became so commercial that you, the government wouldn't allow you to run it as a family business. So we would give people salary. Everybody on Saturday night got a bonus. It was widely known. If you were there on a Saturday night, we literally went around the kitchen and passed out money. Every family, we open the thousands of dollars. So nobody ever quit. So when nobody quits, it must not be too bad, right? And then when people can't steal, they know in our industry, nobody could steal antique employees because we pay so much, or geos. So I was just caught in the crossfire of political stuff where they were saying, you know, you can't pay a salary if they work this many hours. You have to pay regular. You have to pay... Time and a half, you can't do bonuses, so I couldn't do the bonuses. So after the government calculation, my employees got less money. They got less money. And it was never, ever found that I underpaid one person. But as we know, when the government's wrong, they don't apologize. They just, you pay the fine and move on. You don't fight. So, and if anyone also knows me and my organization, I never touched a checkbook, a payroll, a bank account. I can't even log into our bank account. I don't know any of that. I don't, I'm in the kitchen. I don't, I we have great accounting teams. So they do all that stuff. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but we pay everybody. So right about that time is when they were changing policies in America, that if you wanted to have somebody on salary, Obama raised it from 24 grand to 50 grand. And then it got raised back. So Antico was low hanging fruit. They came and looked. We had too many people on salary and bonus, and they disallowed it. All it was was accounting. But nobody ever got paid. But I can't blame people. If you read that, if I read that about somebody and didn't know, I would probably say, geez, man, that guy's making so much money. Why, why would he not pay his people? But simply wasn't true. It was just a way of they were doing the accounting. But anyway... So but, you know, like Tom Brady says, half the people in the world love me and the other half don't know me. And that's it. (laughs) That's the way the world is. Can't make everybody happy, but we're just proud of what we've done in pizza. And when I go around Atlanta, I mean, people treat me like a rock star. They're like, we love you. We love your place. Can I take a picture with you? And it's just really rewarding because it's really about the food. It's not about me. They love the product. I did it for the, I wasn't trying to be the most popular guy in the food industry. I'm trying to like. But you are love, a charismatic figure but, and, and but I don't. Love my product. Love my product. Well, I don't know if it's charisma. It's passion about what I'm doing. The passion about what I'm doing. I, I've had major A-list celebrities leave and say, I think I want to be Jim." He's happier than I am. I think he loves what he does more than I love what I do. And these are major A-list people. They're like, the guy just, he loves what he's doing. So that, that transcends that. I mean, that's infectious, right? We all have had, I've had times in my life where I hated what I was doing, right? I mean, you're like, I'm making a living, but I'm miserable. Now I wake up every day excited. And I, I now I did follow my son. I'm like living the whole story all over. I'm excited. I can't wait to come. I'm here on a Tuesday and it's not even open. It's my day off, but it's adrenaline and it's more about the unbridled passion for the product and the quality. I think the world senses that. If you're around me for 10 minutes, you're going to sense that. That's all I care about, right? And I love making other people happy. Isn't that why you get in our business? You want to make other people happy. It's not about making me happy. I work. Well, It's funny when they said, Oh, I, is he running a sweatshop? I said, this is the dumbest sweatshop in the world. I sweat more than all my employees. <laughs> I said, this is the dumbest sweatshop ever run. I'm the only guy sweating. What's going on here? So, no, I just love what I do. So I, I think that's infectious. And and in like you asked, why did I do more? I could have just went and played golf and bought a boat. And a front are screw this, I got more money than I need. But... It's like when I asked Clint Eastwood, why do you still make movies? He's like, what would I do? I I wake up every day, love making movies. And if I didn't do that, what would I do? You seem
0: to love feeding people. I think that's, you know, I think that's, that's really evident. Like you're very much like here, try this, do this with everyone that comes into your places. But especially now I've been seeing it with Paula, which you mentioned that you just recently opened with your son, Johnny. Um, who is now, is he like, is he almost 20? Is he a t- 21, 21? Okay. 21. Um, what is, I mean, what is it like being now officially in business with your son?
1: It's the best man. It's like, everything's coming full circle. Every day I look at him and I remember him eight years old, you know, throwing flour at you probably and like <laughs> riding around in his scooter, crashing into Arthur blank in the kitchen. And and now I look over and I see him scooping gelato in his business and it's, it's really a very rewarding thing to he sacrificed a lot of his childhood for this business so now um he has a passion to do it and he wants to do it so it's a thrill of a lifetime to, to fast forward to this and and create something new with your son
0: i mean has food always been something that was a connection between the two of you
1: yeah i mean he he eats sleeps and drinks naples He's a Naples soccer fan he has friends in italy i mean he eats, sleeps, and drinks the whole thing. I don't know if you remember this, but you said to Johnny, you know, there's pizza wars going on in Atlanta. And he was eight with the little hat. And Johnny said to you, he said, well, if they can't be the eight-year-old kid, how are they going to beat my dad? <laughs> he was like, that's when he was on CNN and stuff. So he's always had it. He, he, loves, he loves the whole thing. Look, for me, it's a thrill to be in Atlanta and say I own Antico. It's very, people are so wonderful to me everywhere I go. Could you imagine being Johnny? I mean, the kid grew up and like, your dad owns Antico? Holy shit, I want to hang out with you. You know. Right, right, right. So he loves, he's got a tattoo on his chest as Antico. He's got one tattoo. So there's your your answer.
0: answer. Was it bittersweet to see Johnny enter this industry at all?
1: I'm definitely not forcing him into the industry. And I don't really want him to be in it if he doesn't love it. Um, What I do want him to do is understand hospitality. I want him to understand the fundamentals of the business, which is... um, you know, food costs, labor costs, all that stuff. Because at some point, whether he likes it or not, he's going to inherit what I've created. So at least he understands how the sausage is made, right? And the the basics so that he could continue all the things I've built up. So I just want him to understand the business. I want him to make a few bucks while he's in college. And then after college, he could decide, do do I really like this or do i want to just be the part odor with my dad and that's it so that's going to be his decision but i just want him to cut his teeth and get his feet wet and have some fun during college and see what he thinks that's it because yeah i, I don't you don't definitely want to force this industry on anybody <laughs> no I. i
0: was just yeah. curious like because yeah. i mean sometimes no. some people see their kids you know, I was interviewing Sergio from La Grota, you know, yeah. and just, you know, like two, one of his sons went one way, one of his sons went the other, you yeah. <laughs> know, like, um, but uh, just in terms of the past two years, what was COVID like for you as a person and as a restaurateur?
1: Yeah, well, so with COVID, um, you know, I, I think, you know, good old fashioned business instincts still matter and i think in covid those who had great instincts and passion to survive got creative right when you give when you give talented creative people some time to think we we should do something great you know so pa- pandemic gave us a little bit of time to breathe and think not much but um how could I reinvent? How could I survive? You know, back then we didn't know if we were gonna A, be still alive or B bankrupt, or C, you know, or the pandemic last five years. We nobody knew anything in the first month or two. So we're just like, um, we could either lay down and just say, screw it, and call it a day and lay everybody off, or we could try to survive. So for us, it was like, hey, pizza's going to be popular in the pandemic. Let's survive. And so for that, it became like another rewarding thing. You know, he and I did, like, I was shipping frozen pizzas all over the country. He had an ice cream truck full of frozen pizza and gelato and was going neighborhood to neighborhood selling it out every day. So it was like another thing where we, like, said, hey, we, we proved, you know, we could survive under very dire circumstances, but it was challenging. It wasn't, uh, man. It was. It took every ounce of everything. I never thought I'd be working with masks and gloves and, and thinking I could get sick today and maybe die. You know, it was. Uh, it was a crazy time, and it, it definitely wasn't fun. It wasn't. Uh, what we did was rewarding, but it definitely was very stressful and not fun. uh, serving patrons that are scared of you was like a whole nother thing you know it's crazy
0: yeah that's something i keep bringing up with in these interviews is that hospitality is a contact sport and how does it affect you like i asked todd ginsburg the same thing did covid affect your ability as a hospitality professional to serve
1: your patrons Yeah. Well, because like you talked about before, my passion for sharing food and, and now I can't even touch, you know, I can't even shake your hand. I can't hand you a product and say, try this. All that interaction went away and it just, it just made it no fun. If you're, if you're me, it's no fun. I mean, it it was like serving pizza in a hospital. It was just weird. It took the fun out of it. It was like, and what drove us to, to continue was, A, to save your company and all your employees' families who had nowhere to go. So that drove you. But then when the patrons came and said, you know, God, we appreciate your open. We appreciate you still making this product for us. We appreciate you shipping it to our homes and bringing it in the truck. And that drove us the next, you know, kept it kept the – the the fire alive to do it another day but it wasn't fun at all it was how did your businesses do well we were we were down but not as bad as most because we developed this whole other you know this whole other revenue stream of shipping frozen pizza all over the country so we were shipping pizza to like i sold more pizza in beverly hills than i did in atlanta it was crazy And even people like the Seinfelds, Jessica, they ordered every Monday for a year to the Hamptons. From (laughs) Atlanta. Atlanta. And she posted on her Instagram. All the Beverly Hills people, once they saw it, everybody in neighborhoods were ordering, ordering. The wrestler family owns the Hawks. Once they started ordering it, we were just... We shipped to Clint Eastwood and Carmel. We shipped to John Hamm. We shipped to all of L.A. And that, for us we still lost money but we didn't lose as much as everyone else right so so we were okay and we we never laid off one employee not one not one employee we kept every single employee full pay so that was rewarding but it still sucked there's no two ways about it it sucked. it just was like please be over with because you just can't take another wave of this stuff you know it just you know it just every three weeks months you wake up and there's another wave and you're like, I just can't do this anymore. You know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's a, you you know, nobody's ever lived through it a hundred years. Like you don't know, you don't know what a pandemic is and what it means to your business, but I'm just happy a lot of other restaurateurs that are great survived. And I'm sad of the good ones that didn't, you know? So So
0: what do you think is next for Atlanta? I mean, I like to think that you're pretty good at, 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 taking yeah. a big picture view. Um, what do you think, where do you think the restaurant industry is headed here? Like if you're going to compare us to any other food town in the yeah. country, w- what are we going to look like?
1: Well, you know, I think the pandemic has taught us a whole bunch of stuff, right? So I think I think that I would love to see it. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I, I, I think when you get top, top talented people that we know, and you put them in a smaller space with a leaner staff and they're putting out some rock star artisan ethnic food or whatever it is. I really think that's manageable. It's profitable. It's manageable. And it's more enjoy- enjoyable for the chefs or the artisan. And so from what I think it's going to be a lot of smaller, smaller, more intimate spaces, of course, takeout is here to stay and, you know, many chefs got really good at putting great food in a box. And so that sort of extends your revenue. You don't need 5,000 square feet. You know, you don't need. So I think the big box restaurant with 100 employees is kind of going to slowly, slowly fade away um, and focus on more. Like at with my son, I'm having a blast. There's five employees here. You know, I mean, there's five employees. We're putting out some pretty great food in a 1,200 square feet. So I think for Atlanta, you're going to see a lot of that coming for sure, because the rents are going way up, and the cost of doing business is going way up, and the labor cost is way up. So I think, I think um, that's what you're going to see. I really do. Um, a lot of really, and it'd be a thrill for like, imagine if you saw like Cono Jr. in a tiny space serving. Like Slovakis and Euros, isn't he?
0: He is,
1: he's doing doing the lamb shop or whatever.
0: I mean, it's not souvlaki, but I think he does have souvlaki on the menu in the back of kima that's like the coolest (laughs) thing
1: in the world, you know. Like, you go in and it's just like a little space, and like, you know, I mean, I can imagine if you had like Kevin on in like a tiny little shop, and so we're doing steak sandwiches, you'd be like, out of your mind, there'd be like a line down the block. He'd probably make more money doing that than. Owning a big restaurant, so, um, but you know, it's all there, there's. There's a shakeout in the real estate and the labor, but it's also there's a shakeout in supply chain stuff. We don't know if steak and seafood. What is the pr- the price is astronomical right now. So cheese from Italy, flour, it's all doubled and tripled. Shipping costs from Italy has has gone up one thousand percent. It's doubled. So. We don't know where that's going to shake out, and I think that's also going to shape the industry. But I think Atlanta is a hot spot, though. I think Atlanta, like, is a um, very desirable place to be now for chefs and restaurants. Very, very desirable.
0: I, I do feel like it's a much cooler and more interesting place than ever. Um, but I, I do wonder about food prices. I mean, that is intense. Like I was talking to someone and, and they were saying like Carbone and Miami, for instance, just that basic rigatoni, yeah. which you and I were talking about when we ran into each other at, at Todd Ginsburg's new spot, Dirty Rascal. Like it's yeah. like $68 for spaghetti or something crazy. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but it is above $50. No,
1: no it's crazy. And, and, and I could make you that like with the left hand tied behind my back for two bucks. And I and don't know like, why you don't, but, but yes. But the cost, <laughs> the cost. I might, but the, the cost of his rent in Miami, his labor cost in shipping all the, I mean, it's astronomical. I mean, that's where those prices come from. It's not greed. It just comes from, this is what I need to charge to make it Miami. So,
0: So what does someone like they, you do? when you're so ingredient driven i mean like yeah. you i can't talk to you about a new dish without you giving me some sort of provenance yeah. for the olive oil or the ricotta or whatever yeah, uh, yeah. Uh,
1: what do you do well i have a narrowly focused menu i plan on when i create a dish i plan on selling quite a bit of it and i source everything before i even put it on a plate or a menu and i and i have all that stuff lined up or i don't do the dish and so You know, we bring Bell and Evans chicken to Atlanta for eight years. Me and Whole Foods are the only people that do that. We share the truck. So what kind of crazy chef does things like that? I mean, that would go to Pennsylvania. Here we are in the the chicken capital of America. I want to buy Georgia chicken, but Bell and Evans was just air chilled and so much better. And the CEO of Bell and Evans committed to bring me chicken. So I said... Great, we're doing a chicken place and we've been bringing it to Atlanta ever since. So, But I sourced everything before I introduced the dish and I made sure we want quality, we want a logistics plan where we can get enough quantity and we want it always consistent. And that's our mantra. And and then when we ask them, this, that's how we deal with vendors. We want supreme quality, we want consistent logistics plan. And the third part is the price. We don't even care about them. The price is irrelevant. If you could do A and B, we don't care about the price. The price is what it is, market price. And so customers have like, they're willing to pay a little more for both. They really are. I mean, they, they have. And not, astronaut, not $30, $40 for Rigatoni Vodka. Not in Atlanta, that won't go. Yeah. But they're willing to pay a little more for the best. They really are. They they really are. They I mean they've told me that for ten years. I mean we'll pay more because we know what we're getting. So, but Atlanta's challenging. I mean, there's no ocean here. There's no seafood here. There's not a lot of great. I mean, so most everything has to be brought to Atlanta. And that's that can be challenging.
0: Do you still like cooking as much as you did before the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, I love I love. You know, I love being in an oven. I mean, like at Paula helping John, I love being in an oven. I love making an exceptional focaccia, pizza, bread. I mean, I love doing that. So, and but the, the 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 adrenaline comes from the customers. The customers, you know, they walk in here and they say thank you for coming here. Like, who the hell? I mean, this is such a hard business, and the first thing people say is thank you. It's pretty cool. So, I mean all right, if you're going to say, instead of say hello to me, say, thank you. I'm going to keep working here for like, until you stop saying thank you. No, but it's like rewarding. It's so rewarding to have people say, thank you for being here. Um, Yeah. So it makes me love it. It makes me keep going. That's, that's what makes you keep going. It's not profits. It's that it's, and then people leaving and saying, Oh my God, that was so delicious. That's what I think drives probably every chef and every you know when the customers are blown away that's what we all strive for right
0: is there anything you want to promote right now anything you have going on and how can people keep up with what you're doing
1: yeah i just like right now we're just um we're opening a few more antico's one in tucker i'm looking we're we're probably going to commit to a new project in high street and then that might be the end of opening antico's i'm not sure um and then um I'm having fun figuring out how to make a uh, pizza taste good on a plane. So, we're serving pizza on first class at Delta. And that's been. That's so crazy. It's been a challenge and fun as hell to try to like. And then, hearing flight attendants saying everybody in first class freaked out and had your pizza. I'm like, (laughs) that's so, like, I never dreamed in my wildest dreams people would be eating my pizza on a flight. But so that is its own unique challenge and fun to do um and then and is that Paula, is that you know, going
0: on right now or, yeah, are we
1: yeah. what what what
0: uh what legs what roots
1: it's on it's all international stuff it's on the first class menu delta one but we're gonna grow it that was just the validation can we do this and then mm. we're gonna grow it to like you might get it on y class going to new york you know so we're gonna grow it but the validation stage has been super fun to make a pizza taste good and like a steel box with a hairdryer in it. I mean, that's what a, an airplane oven is like. But it's,
0: they cook the hell out of the food. Like I had my, yeah, I mean, they cook yeah. the hell. So like your pizza might do
1: well. <laughs> well <I tend laughs> they, may a, make, they may make crisp it up real nice. <laughs> you, no, you have to factor all that. So I factored all that. I had an oven off a 757 in my lab for two months. That's and I tested wild. Hydration, dough, timing, hydration, dough. How big did the cheese have to be? How much sauce Here's I got everything perfected. The one thing I didn't get right. The one thing that I didn't think about when the flight is delayed, (laughs) they have to to turn the oven off and they don't. So if your flight's delayed and the flight attendant does shut the oven off, it's going to keep cooking for the amount of time it's delayed. So that's something I couldn't have planned. I don't know. So, but that's been fun. That's rewarding. And then, you know, Paula's just taking me down memory lane. You know, I just I'm running into people that used to stand in Antico Kitchen 11 years ago. Like I'm running into these people every day, and it's so much fun. And and just seeing Johnny learning the business and introducing a little Roman style in the sandwiches and the, just the reaction to all this stuff is totally different. It's uh. If people want to see me, I'm usually at Paula during the day. And, and then the after school kids party till five. <laughs> and that's that's so much fun every day. And then I'll go down to West Midtown at night and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it's, it's Paula and then watch for us to like try to grow on Delta. You know, that's it. Well,
0: I appreciate your time, Gio. I always enjoy speaking to you. And, yeah, and obviously,
1: fun. I love fun. your food. It's fun. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And I'm a, uh, I, I do this podcast and I'm also a customer. Yeah. So <laughs> You're biased. You like it too much. You're biased.
0: But luckily so, this is, this podcast has been all people that I tend to interact with a lot because I do yeah. like what they make. So.
1: Well, it's perfect because you don't like people. So you just get to sit, sit on a couch with a freaking camera. <laughs> and it, it's the perfect anti-social business. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You're set for life. That's it. <laughs>
0: Well, like, you know, I can get Paula delivered now, so yeah, it's great, yeah. you know. Thank God but, came
1: up with podcasts, yeah. yeah. Uh, so well, thank
0: you again, Jim. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to Gio for joining us and thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as The Food That Binds or Jennifer Zeman on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Mercedes O'Brien. Again, we'll be back next Sunday. This has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds.